this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. Hi, my name is Neil Bagg. I am the uh, co-host and editor of a podcast and website called Get Your Comic Con. Uh, website is www.getyourcomiccon.co.uk. We are a fortnightly-ish, depending on the mood, podcast, which is available on all major platforms. We talk about comic books, we talk about movies, we talk about TV, trying to talk a little bit more about gaming. Uh, I just like to talk about geek stuff. I just love talking about everything that I love to watch, everything that I love to read, and uh, that, that's that's me, really, in a nutshell. I am quite, I'm pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. So the website started what will be uh, nine years ago, I reckon. So uh, my co-host Martin and I are, are, are married. We will have been married for 10 years next year. Yeah, so 10 years next year, which means it will be uh, nine years this year, so eight years of the website. Basically, we so we got married in 2012 and then that was November the 10th and we took our honeymoon the following July we went to San Diego so we went to San Diego or we we booked a holiday to San Diego for our honeymoon with the on the proviso that we were going to go to Comic-Con we were like yes we're going to go we've never been we really want to uh, book a holiday well in advance like you normally do when you want to get a fairly cheap deal for a very expensive holiday long before the tickets for San Diego Comic-Con go on sale Tickets for San Diego Comic-Con go on sale. We do not get them. We have a lovely 10-day holiday in San Diego, enjoying the zoo and the Sea Life Centre, and the people out there are, are lovely as well. The food is great, the people are great. The city is, is lovely. I honestly could retire there quite happily. Uh, but as far as uh, Comic-Con goes, we stood outside the doors and looked through at the, the magical, wonderful world that was inside the San Diego Convention Centre. So we got back... So I think the way San Diego Comic-Con works, it tends to either be fairly early in the month or it lands on my birthday. And that year it had been slightly earlier in the month. Uh, so we got back, uh, so my birthday's the 26th of July and we were out for drinks with some friends down on the South Bank here in London. And we were just talking about the holiday and what we'd seen. Because basically if you look through the door of the convention centre in the right spot, you can see from the lobby into the main convention hall and you can actually get a glimpse of like, the, it, I mean, it is amazing. I have been three times since, and it is amazing inside. Uh, so we were just kind of talking about that. And um, one of my friends said, why the hell do you not just start a, a blog or a website or something where you talk about this stuff? Because you, I mean, I literally, I have been reading comic books since I was five or six, I think. And um, I'm relatively sure my first word may have been Batman as a child. <laughs> so it's kind of ingrained in in who I am right back to, to when I was really young. So it was like, just just do it and see if you can get yourself into one of these things for free just by talking about this stuff. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Of course I can. We can totally do that. More drinks, obviously. Happy birthday to me. Uh, the next day, I apparently own... a a website address and what was a Tumblr account at the time and Twitter and Instagram all under this name, which I'm still, I have a funny relationship. I have a bit of a love hate relationship with the name. Um, 
I don't know why. We thought it was really catchy after a few drinks. We were like, because it's like Comic-Con, but it's Comic-On. And it was, I'm stuck with it now. I will live with it till my dying day. And it'll probably be on my tombstone, but a bit of a weird relationship with it. So we kind of just randomly cobbled this thing together the next day and did it. I did I did a bit of writing about comic books. I think at the time I was reading the, the Batman 66 comic book because it was when the licensing had just gone back over to kind of DC from... Uh, Fox or whoever owned the 66 series you know and we finally got to the point where we could buy it on home video and they could make merch for it so I'm pretty sure that was one of the only real things I talked about didn't really do very much in terms of social media with it did that for a few months and then just naturally waned from it a little bit because I was just like what what am I doing this for do I really think that something will ever kind of come of it so went away from it for a little while and I don't know what it was that brought me back to it but it was less than a year that I was away from it, but something made me go, do you know what? Maybe I should sort of try and do something with this. So I came back to it, took it off the whole Tumblr thing, took it to WordPress, kind of made it more of its own entity, sort of had a little bit of fun with doing, trying to do some graphics by myself and stuff. Because I, I, so uh, at college I did BTEC multimedia rather than A-level. So I did like a bit of graphic design and a bit of, film work and stuff like that and I did a I did a film degree and a script writing masters before I got into uh, my day job which is NHS work so I kind of have a bit of an arty background and every now and then I do have a bit of an itch to scratch I'm like I'd like to do something creative so sort of came back to it made it its own thing really quietly I wasn't making a big deal of it I wasn't sort of advertising it anywhere but I was starting to use the Twitter and the Instagram and stuff a little bit more and just slowly building up a kind of a a bulk of work that was on the website never expecting anyone to join in or anything to happen and then it just rattled on like that just really quietly building stuff up with no real aim to I want to get to a screening or I want to get sent this book or I want to get anything for free or anything like that or I, you know I never aimed to get a following Instagram sparked at some point I don't really know what it was that kicked that off either but suddenly that started to pick up a following and there's something quite sort of rewarding about that. That was like, oh, people are actually interested in what I'm saying. And then started to get to know the kind of group of people that I know now. And then 2018, so we've been going for quite a while by that point, 2018 rolls around. And one day I get home from work and I'm still kind of doing everything by myself at this point. There's not really a team of people, whereas now there's quite a few contributors. I get home from work one day and check my email, and there's an email from a PR company that's like, oh, hey, Neil, we've just seen your website. We're promoting the soundtrack to Disney's uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, so Wreck-It Ralph 2. And they're like, if you would be happy to post this thing about Imagine Dragons song that's on the soundtrack, then we'd love for you to come and see the film. I'm like, really? Like, like... You want me to come and see? Well, okay, cool. So, so I did it, and uh, it was in the like the smallest screen at the the Cineworld in Leicester Square, and there was maybe fifteen people there, of which one of them was Jonathan Ross, who sat in front of me, and even though there was like security and stuff there to make sure no one was filming it, uh, he vaped throughout the entire film, meaning that I saw some of it, but mainly through smoke. And uh, I just I saw this film before it was released, and I was like, that's kind of cool. I didn't realise that was a thing. Like, surely only journalists get to do that kind of thing where they get invited to stuff. I was like, but that's kind of cool. And then that sort of piqued my interest a little bit. I was like, I wonder how I would actually go about 
getting further into this. And I knew a couple of people who'd been to screenings, particularly in the kind of Warner Brothers DC comic side. So Paul from DC World was one of the first people I got to know. And when I'd been at San Diego, so I'd been to San Diego that year, and he, he'd said to me, like, oh, can you bring me some stuff back? Which I did. And uh, so he sent me some swag in return, which was really nice of him. And then I'd met him at MCM Comic Con that summer. And so I said to him, like, okay, you get to go to DC stuff. Who who do I talk to about, about that? Because that would be awesome. And he, he kind of helped me out. And I got invited to go and see uh, Aquaman at a press screening. And then things really really snowballed from there quite surprisingly so that was December 2018 that that came out and then suddenly just like my inbox just goes crazy and even now uh, like so like today I emptied my my Geico inbox at the beginning of this week and there are now 50 emails in there which is like I literally just got an email saying there's new character posters that have just been released for Adam's Family 2 the animated movie can you put these out um I've been invited to see a film called Black Medicine. It's an Irish thriller. Uh, it's by it's so it's got all the Brady in it. Who's um, she plays Laris, the Romulan uh, in Picard, and she was Peter's mum in Fringe. Uh, it's it's her and it's some kind of slightly medically themed like thriller film that they're like, oh, it's it's screening on Tuesday. Come down and see it. And so I just now continually pinch myself and think, is this my life? <laughs> so from like where we were back in twenty twelve. Well, I should have pointed out that while we were sitting down on the South Bank coming up with this idea, we were sat in like an abandoned circus. Like they do, they do the Wonderground thing every summer. That's like a they have like a circus of horrors and vaudeville shows and stuff that they do down on the South Bank. So we were sat in a bumper car in this like in this random I think like cider bar. So that's where it was invented, and it just feels it feels crazy to think that it's pushing ten years, but at the same time also feels like about five minutes since it all kicked off. So where we are now, like we, uh, we've got we've nearly got four and a half thousand followers on Instagram, which I realise is tiny in comparison to some. But for me, it's, a, it's a, I'm like really, like four and a half thousand people, and over two thousand followers on uh, on Twitter. The podcast has been in the top one hundred on iTunes Entertainment Podcasts, which is just nuts. Uh, and not only in the UK, like we charted we, the other day, we charted in Austria. And we've been in the chart in, um, so we've been in the charts in France, Belgium, Australia, <laughs> so odd. And then when you look at like stats and stuff to see where people are coming to look at your stuff, like we're, ma- we're mainly UK and quite a lot of American audience. But when it comes to the podcast, there's always one listen in the, in the Virgin Islands. I'm like, I want to I go there and see who the one person is that listens every fortnight. Who is this person? <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's amazing what you could... In fact, I was saying to Martin today, we were talking about how um, quite a lot of people will get into this and have a bit of an eager about what they do or can be a little bit precious about what they do, which I completely understand. But I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's because I work in the NHS, so, you know, I, I see, particularly in the last sort of 12, 14 months, see how difficult things can be for people. But I, I like to think that I don't really have an ego at all. So if there is a big film, so like Black Widow is a big thing at the moment, everyone's talking about, did you get invited to see it? Were you at the event last week? Have you got a screener for it? I've not heard anything. Have, have you heard from Disney? Who's talking? Who do I need to speak to about it? And there, as far as I'm concerned, if I don't get to see something like that, it's I, I'm not going to throw my toys out of the pram. I'm not going to be like, that's the end of the world. Why should I bother doing this anymore? I didn't, I didn't get Black Widow. 
Uh, I mean, I was supposed to watch it today, but Disney's had a technical error, so I'm now getting to watch it tomorrow morning. But there are people who who get so hung up on it that I'm like, you know what, to, to take a step back, like, just remember, we we have really serious day jobs and completely normal lives. And in fact, I, I call my day job like my Clark Kent job. And this is like my Superman job. And I'm just like, just enjoy it, because this is awesome. We're like, we're completely normal people who started this thing by ourselves, in most cases, started something by ourselves or got involved with somebody else who'd started their own thing and, you know, we're helping them out with it. And we're getting to walk like red carpets and interview people who we love, like, whose artwork we love or whose comic books we love. I, so G.I. Joe Snake Eyes is coming out in, in August, so next month. And I don't know for definite yet, but fingers crossed, it looks like I might get to interview Larry Hammer, who is the guy who created G.I. Joe comic books. He wrote the entire run of G.I. Joe at Marvel and has been writing it at, at um, IDW as well. And he's worked on Batman for DC. He's worked on like Elektra and stuff for Marvel. And I'm like, what? Like you, 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 you are happy for for me, like literally, like little old me, to to sit with a total legend and ask him questions about his career. Yes, I'll be really nervous when I do it. But how awesome is that? You should be damn proud of yourself for the stuff that you can that you've built by you know by your own hand. First interviews for me were were Justice League, Dark Apocalypse War. And yes, I did muck up interviewing uh, the voice actor for The Flash and it didn't record. But like I spoke, so one of my first ever interviews was was the guy that voiced Batman in that film. And I'm really awfully not going to remember his name off the top of my head right now, which is terrible. But considering Batman is like my favourite character, for my first interview that I've ever done with a famous person, to be it, the voice of Batman. I mean, he voiced Batman in most of those new 52 movies in that animated universe. Again, total pinch me moment. Like, what? I interviewed one of the amazing group of actors who got to play my favourite character in all of media ever. Like, just, I could die happy, to be honest. So what what made you start up the podcast then, you and Martin? Um, do you know what? I, th- there's kind of two things to it. One, my, my kind of film background does ping in the back of my mind every now and then that I'm like, do you know what? I just love to pick up a camera or do a bit of editing or just, like, n- not from a sort of, I have this ambition that we're going to have the number one podcast on iTunes, just a, I wonder if I could do that. And then I'll start it and I'm like, well, I wonder if um, I can do it better. So if I invest in some slightly better quality tech or some uh, better software for editing, can I make it sound like like studio quality? And I so that's kind of my thing is I'm always constantly trying to just see what I can manage to do within my tiny little spare room, which has become our studio. So part of it was was just a bit of an itch to scratch to see if I could do it and if we could do it and people would listen to it. But at the same time, Martin doesn't do any writing for the for the website or anything. He uh, he's he's a nurse by background, but he is an incredibly busy guy. So he's a nurse lecturer. He he teaches advanced kind of skills to to qualified nurses who want to progress their career. He's also uh, speaking at conferences uh, like globally, which is just crazy. And so I mean, he's busy and doesn't really have time to write. But I always feel bad when. Like if I, so if I, I won't do any, if I'm in the office, for instance, kind of pre-COVID life, 
I don't I don't interact with kind of the Geico stuff when I'm at work. It's all preset stuff that's written either in the morning before I leave to go to work or is stuff that the other guys have done. And we just pre-schedule all the tweets and Instagram stuff so that I don't have to be worrying about it when I'm doing the day job because the two shouldn't really cross over. And then if something major has happened while I'm at work and no one's available, when I get home, the first thing I'm going to do is jump straight on the computer and need to cover it. And so for, for a long time, as it was starting to get big, I did feel like he was becoming a bit of an, an internet widow to the fact that so much time goes into it. Because I think now that there's more people that do it, and I've got such an amazing group of people that work with me and contribute to it, but where it was still just me, and we, we are talking like pre-COVID times here, so my, my day job, I've always done eight to four, but we're talking eight to four Monday to Friday, so I'm doing like a 37 and a half hour week in London, so commuting from where we are southeast, it takes like half an hour to get to Victoria and then another 20 minutes or so to get from there to my office. So I was kind of getting up at five in the morning, doing an hour and a half of what's happened overnight in America that needs to be covered or what do we need so that there's stuff going out on the website during the day so that people aren't like, oh, they've, they've kind of disappeared. What's happened? Maybe they're not doing this anymore. Because that was a fear early on was that people would be like, well, they've not really done anything. So maybe this isn't that serious. And I always want people to think that we're trying to keep on top of stuff. So I'd be doing a couple of hours in the morning before going to work, going to work, come back and doing maybe a couple of hours in the evening as well. And so I was easily racking up a good kind of 15, 20 hours more work on top of the day job doing this. So I was like, I need something that can kind of involve him a little bit so that he doesn't feel like I'm, I'm literally just existing at a computer constantly typing away. So, and I always, I mean, if I, I'm really lucky that when we get invited to screenings, if it's me that's going and if I'm able to go, we will often have a plus one. So I do, you know, he comes with me to most stuff, uh, which is which is great because it's nice to be able to share that with someone rather than sort of being on your own. A, a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment with cinemas only just reopening in the last few weeks, with a lot of screenings still being socially distanced, a lot of it, uh, screenings don't have plus ones. So I haven't been able to take him to everything recently, which is sad. But it was just a way of bringing him in and letting having something that I could share with him as well so that he could kind of get an insight into what it's like. And we started out, I think all of our early ones, we were talking about Titans, which is, if anyone has listened to a podcast, will know how much he loves Robin and Nightwing. So it's kind of the perfect thing for him. I mean, his Twitter handle is Wonder 1989 so what more do you need to know? I do often look forward to the... Um... You do your review of something, and then we get the Scottish review. That is one of my favourites. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's I, quite often uh, he will feel like, oh, I didn't do you know a particularly good job of that. And I'm like, no, you don't need to do a good job of it. That's why I think people think that we're really funny, because I'll say to you, like, okay, so we just sat down and watched this freaking awesome movie. What do you think of it? Oh, it was all right. And then he's like, well, what did you think of it? And it is, I mean, sometimes I will edit myself down, but it will be like 10 minutes of, I thought the cinematography was awesome. I thought the sound design was awesome. I thought the set design was awesome. I thought this was great. He's like, yeah, I liked it. But I just, I just, that's just, that's so us. That's just, anyone that knows us will say that's just, we. it, it is just like an hour of what it's like to hear us in, in real life. The other way that I think about it is not everyone that's listening wants to hear like real granular detail on what something was like like you might just want to know if we liked it or if we didn't like it so if i think if we were both doing the same thing and going really deep critiquing like the cinematography of 
I don't know, like the last film we watched was The Tomorrow War that's out today on Amazon Prime. And it is, it's a great film. It's a disaster movie. So when we record the podcast about it this weekend, I'm probably not going to go into, I mean, it is Larry Fong, who was the cinematographer for most of Zack Snyder's movies. But, you know, <laughs> like, not necessarily. I mean, if, you, if you're talking about a disaster movie, people aren't necessarily looking for it to be technically awesome. They're just looking to have a good time with a disaster movie. And I, that's what I like. I think it would be, it would get boring if we, if we were doing the same approach, both of us. I think there was, there was like this sort of turning point for me around the time that the, the screenings and stuff started, where I suddenly had to kind of think, okay, I'm putting a lot into this, but I'm also starting to get some pretty cool stuff back from this. So I need to kind of, I had to rationalize in my head at that point, like, was it worth the amount of effort going forwards? And was it worth the amount of time I was putting into it going forwards? And at the time, I felt like it was. And there, 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 yeah, there has been kind of 18 months, two year period where it has consumed a lot of stuff. But we are at a point now where there's, there's James, who is like my right hand man, who does a lot. Like I can throw stuff at him and be like, look, I'm at work at the moment. Are you at home? I need you to cover this really quickly. Or damn it, I was supposed to go to a screening tonight, can you make it kind of thing? And he is amazing. And then there's Dave, who's joined us recently, who people will know from Twitter as Red and Blue Dave, who also does a gaming website, who, uh, when he first came on board a few months ago, he was just kind of covering films and stuff. And then I started saying to him, you know, can you do a bit of news coverage during the day? He probably regretted saying yes to that, because it's like, great, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we now have a Slack channel uh, where basically everyone that contributes is a member of this Slack channel, and I will just throw up stuff on there like, okay, we've just been asked, um, can, can we review this film? Can we interview this person from this indie movie? This news has happened. These press releases have come in. Who can cover it? And I just let them all fight it out between them for who will cover it, which is, which is great, because it means that now something that might have taken me a couple of hours or I might have had to take a longer lunch break at work to cover something. I can just spend a minute going, can anyone do it? Great, you can. Go for it. So my time is getting better. Uh, I do, yeah, I would like a bit more of a life back. <laughs> but at the same time, the stuff that I'm now afforded that I can do because of it is also awesome. So going to a screening of an evening after work is amazing. And like I was saying before, it's those pinch me moments. So it's, it is quite time consuming, but it's... It's a good time consuming. I don't think I could do it if I didn't love it. I am though desperate for concert venues to open up again. I need some live music back in my life. <laughs> That's the thing that I miss so much. I, this is really sad, but when I was at so I come from a really I come from Shrewsbury originally, which is quite a small town, uh, where my where my mum and dad lived uh, is actually a, like, it's not, you can't even call it a hamlet. There isn't another house for at least a mile in any direction. So, like, I come from a tiny, like, if you look at it on Google Maps, there's, like, our house, green. <laughs> there's just nothing. So I didn't really get to interact with sort of live music and stuff until I went to uni. And then I just, I, I hit, like, gig venues hard when I went to uni and I went to, I did my undergrad in Newport, South Wales. And then when I did my masters, I moved to Cardiff. So I was kind of 
when I was 18, 19, I was knee deep in like, I don't really want to say lost profits, but lost profits at the time before, it, you know, the awkwardness of what happened there. But like bands like Bullet for My Valentine and Funeral for a Friend and stuff, I just saw all the time. And my, so my day job, I do a lot of data analysis. So I am quite sad and do love a spreadsheet. And there is actually a spreadsheet in existence of like every band I had seen when I was at uni and how many times I had seen them. And that has become a list in my phone that's like, what gigs did I go to in 2016, 2017, 2018? And then you get to like 2019 and then you get to 2020 and it's like nothing. And I just, I just want some, I need a mosh pit in my life. It's so <laughs> fine. People, it's really funny. Well, again, I say it's funny. I hope it's funny. Uh, people have this impression of me that I'm like the happiest person on earth because I'm generally always smiling and always in a fairly good mood and I will always talk to people and I'm one of those people that I can be sat on the tube and someone that I've never met before and I don't know will tell me their biggest issue in life because apparently I just look like I can I can help uh, but I actually think it's because for the entire of my like, late teens and 20s and early 30s I spent all of my time taking anything negative and putting it into a mosh pit somewhere I'm sure that that's why I'm fairly happy-go-lucky in the rest of life is because I work it all out elsewhere. So yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, to having some live music back in life. I've always loved comics. I've always loved movies. I do a game as much as I can, but I I'm not like hardcore. I mean, I do own a PS5, and I have been. I can finally play Cyberpunk because it's back on the PlayStation Store. So I'm you know digging into that at the moment. But gaming is not is it's a it was a big love when I was younger, but I don't feel like I have as much time for it now. And my other thing is music. Music has always been huge for me. Always, always been huge for me. When I was um, when I was studying film, I used to always, always use music for inspiration. If it was a project where we needed to write something, if I was, if because we were, basically we used to be separated into groups for like each semester. And it'd be like, this is the film that you're going to make. So what's going to be your role? And if my if my role and stuff like that was always writing, it would always be right. I need a playlist of what's going to fit my mood for what I'm trying to write. And it's just it's always underpinned kind of everything that I've done. If I'm in if I'm working from home, I've probably got headphones in or the radio on. If I'm in the office by myself, I've got the radio on. If we're all in the office together, then again, I've probably got headphones in because I'm just always listening to something. There are a few songs which I do feel like weirdly track exactly what is in my head it's yeah it's great and people look at me at work like I'm I'm really odd as well because they just don't expect my music taste which I love it's so funny I, I work with some wonderful wonderful people and I've been at the hospital that I work at for 10 years as of last month I was my 10 year anniversary I've done four jobs yeah, four different jobs. And the first the first team that I worked with was when Martin and I had literally just moved to London. So uh, I met him when I was still at uni, but he was still at uni in Edinburgh. I moved to Edinburgh for a, for a couple of years and then we moved to London together because he wanted to get some kind of life experience away from, from home because that, that is home for him. And so I started this job, completely new people. No one knows me other than my interview. They don't, they don't know me at all. And in the first couple of weeks, I think I had a I had a gig or something that I was going to after work. Oh, it was a gig. I was going to see. Uh, I was going to see a band called Lacuna Coil. They're 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 an Italian metal band. Mostly sing in English, but they do have a few songs in Italian. There's a male vocalist who who is quite screamy and aggressive, 
and then there was a female vocalist because I, as much as I love really loud music, I, I love loud music that is contrasted by something quite melodic at the same time. And so I, I, I must have gone to get changed or something like that. And I mean, generally a black t-shirt, probably with something printed on it that might be a band logo, uh, is, is what I wear. So I'd obviously like put taken the shirt and tie off and put on like a Slipknot t-shirt or like a Venge Sevenfold or something. And everyone looked at me like I was, I don't know, like I should be sitting on the roof of my house with a tinfoil hat waiting for the aliens to take me away. And I was just like, this is great. Everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. And I, there was once where someone clearly like, properly stereotyped me for the fact that Martin and I are married and I was going to a concert and they were like, oh, I didn't realise like, that Kylie was in town. Like, um, actually, I'm going to see Marilyn Manson. And it's like, yeah, sorry, no stereotypes here. I like comic books, I play computer games, I listen to heavy metal. That's just, that's how we roll, I'm afraid. I quite enjoy moments like that, though it's funny. There's nothing funnier than completely upending someone's expectations. I I do, I tell you what, I actually, I, I keep this really separate, just because I don't ever want anyone to, not that I think that anyone would, this is probably really neurotic, but I never want, I would never want anyone to accuse me of not, doing my day job to the best of my ability because they think that I'm way more interested in, in this. So like my my boss that I've, I've known her for the entire 10 years that I've been there, but I've only been working with her as my boss for the last sort of two years, knows what I do just because we've been friends for a while. So she knows me a little bit outside work. But other than that, no one really knows all that much. They get a, like a glint every now and then, but I just don't think that people are ready to understand that you, particularly in the NHS where people do take, I mean, they have to take things seriously, but sometimes I feel like they take things almost too seriously at times when it comes to how married you should be to your work. I've always said that I, I work to live. I don't live to work. Although having said that, obviously what I do here, I kind of live to do this, but you know, in terms of the day job. And so I do, I do keep it separate for that reason of, I, I do think people would look at me slightly differently and I don't think I would be taken quite as seriously. I don't have an issue with it per se. I just think, you know what, rather than face that whole minefield, let's just keep Clark Kent where he is Monday to Friday and I do this other thing. But every now and then I get too excited about something. So I remember, we, so we do like this Friday morning, it's now Friday afternoon, but at the time it was Friday morning meeting where our whole team would sit down together and we just kind of talk about what our week was like. So it'll be like one good thing that happened, one bad thing that happened. Uh, and, and my good thing was that that evening I was going to the premiere of Shazam and they what they did for Shazam was um, the premiere was at the BFI down on the South Bank and then the space, uh, like a couple of minutes further on down the bank, just past where this morning used to film, there's like a there's like a grassy area there, and they built a fun fair to be because there's a fun fair in the film towards the end. So they built a kind of a replica of it, and you could go and win Shazam themed prizes and stuff. So I was just way too excited because I was like, I'm going to the premiere of Shazam, and I'm going to a Shazam themed fun fair with Zachary Levi, and everyone was just like, All right, what Shazam? What what's that? <laughs> Is, is, isn't that the thing on your phone that tells you what a song is when you don't know what it is? But at the same time, I, as far as anyone that I know outside work or people that I've known for years from uni days or even before that, I'm, I'm more than happy to be an out and proud geek in that respect. I, I, I wear that, that 
title very proudly. Always have done. I actually, I think it starts before I even can remember, which is quite scary. I, if I think back, so uh, Batman 1989, so I would, I would be four that year, so I didn't see it at the cinema because it was a 12 or a 15 at the time. And, but I can remember being bought the VHS. So clearly some, I obviously liked Batman by that point. And also my, I think it was my birthday of that year, unless it was my birthday of the following year. I can't remember exactly which month of the year that film came out. Um, that would be quite scary if I could remember what month it came out when I was four. Um, uh, but I remember being, I remember being given an action figure for my birthday of Michael Keaton's Batman. I had a version of Michael Keaton's Batmobile and an action figure of the Joker. It wasn't Jack Nicholson's Joker from the film, but it was a, a Joker film uh, figure. So clearly, by the age of sort of four or five, I had developed quite a quite a love for the character. If that was because that's all I remember being given, and I remember then at the Christmas we got a NES. I love that machine. I wish it still worked. And one of the first games that I had for that was the game of Batman eighty nine. So I, re- I can remember watching reruns of Adam West. I can remember owning those Batman movies on video. I remember watching Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, again, reruns, although thinking these things are new because I've not seen them before. And I can also remember, I'm pretty sure it was Channel 4, used to do reruns of the black and white Batman serials from the, the what was it, 40s. And I, it used to be on at like half seven in the morning. So I would set an alarm and climb out of bed and sit in front of the TV and watch black and white Batman. So it just, it goes way back. And that's, I suppose that's in terms of kind of the film stuff. And then my, my oldest, so I've got two sisters and a brother. My oldest sister lived in London for a long, long time. She moved away. I won't take it personally, but she moved away like two months after I moved to London. Um, so I, I, I'm guessing it's like only one family member can live here at any one time. Uh, but she, she'd been here for a long, long time, and she, she lived just down the road from where, from where I am now. And I came to stay when I was maybe six or seven. And I'd, I'm pretty sure by that point I'd been reading some, like, learn to read with Batman comics that were uh, in the style of the animated series from 92. So the, the, the Bruce Timm style characters. But... When I was here, we went to a, a news agent, and I ended up picking up a, a Batman comic that was adult, very adult. It was like a there were vampires, there was there was a lot of blood, there was a lot of violence, and it was it was my first kind of exposure to a grown up comic, and I was like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" And so that's where that's where that kind of kicked off. I think it's just it's been it's been there for as long as I genuinely as long as I can remember. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the knight. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two.
Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not fuck that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. All work and no play makes for a dull way to live, don't you agree? Join me, Adam Ray, and a very special guest each week on the Hostile Takeover, where they and I discuss their favourite game, PC, console, board game or tabletop, whatever they decide, what we will talk about. Let gaming be the way forward. Working's too much. It's time for a Hostile Takeover, coming soon to a podcast feed near you. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. first Batman film I would have gotten to see in the cinema would have been Batman Forever. So Batman Forever was 95, so I would have been 10, and that's 
finally when it fell to like a PG. That was the first Batman film that was in the cinema that I could go watch. Uh, other than that, it was all just watching stuff at home. And I did drift away from it for a while. I never drifted away from the movies or TV series or games, really. But I did drift away from reading comics for a while. So, like I was saying, I come from a really, really small town. There was a comic book shop, and uh, I wish I could remember what it was called. It was actually something like Forbidden Planet, but it wasn't. But it was like a rip on that, and I just wondered if they went, oh, there's a big company in London called Forbidden Planet. We'll call ourselves, like, Bard Solar System. Um, or some, like some really, like, shanky rip-off. But... It was it was pretty cool, and I used to, once I discovered that I did used to pick up some comics from there when I was quite young. I used to read Star Trek: The Next Generation comics, which I I still have them. And at the time, I never clocked that they were published by DC. I'm like, oh my god, I love Star Trek and I love DC comics. My two favorite things were literally like together at some point in my lifetime. So they so they existed, but they they I don't know what it was, but they used to move a lot between stores, or they close and disappear, and then they'd reopen somewhere else. And you couldn't reliably read any series ongoing. It would always be like a. I've there's a. I remember there was a. I don't know what year it was. I'd say like two thousand two thousand and one. After I drifted away a little bit and tried to come back to it when they'd reopened, there was a Spider-Man Black Cat miniseries that was only six issues, and I think the store carried like one, two, three, five, and not four and six. And it's like. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that's what made me drift away from comics a bit because it was like, okay, the internet, you know, stuff like ordering online, ordering from Amazon or being able to subscribe online or digital comics were like totally not a thing yet. So it was like, okay, I haven't really got the means. And then when I went to uni and I moved to Newport, there was a Forbidden Planet in Cardiff. So I picked things back up when I was at uni. And then when I graduated from my undergrad and started my master's, I kind of got my first office job. So that was the first like first time in life I had a proper wage coming in. And I was like, ooh, the first thing I'm going to do is get a comic book subscription. So I, at the time, you used to, uh, the way Forbidden Planet worked was you had to subscribe to, I think, something like four titles. So it was like, I'm going to get Batman. I'm going to get Detective Comics. There was another Batman title. And then I read some like Supernatural tie-in to the TV series. And that was, I started my subscription then. And that ran all the way so that would have been like 2006 7 i started that ran all the way to 2018 i think was when i made the really difficult decision to stop reading paper and go digital just because like we live in london we're not minted <laughs> we don't have miles of space we can't like literally for for a while it was like every cupboard you opened, like comics would just fall out. And it was like, hey, we, like something needs to change. So now I've been digital for the last sort of two, three years. So all the, all of the, the weekly stuff is boarded and backed and, you know, in a plastic bag and in a nice box where it is sort of still filling cupboards, but it's there. And then all of the graphic novels are just what is the backdrop for whenever I do a video and stuff for anything for Geico social media. It just sits behind me in the office. Like even just on the shelves behind me, I know that there's there's two copies of Batman Mad Love, one of which I've owned for years, and another one that I bought at San Diego Comic Con because I suddenly realised that I was stood next to Bruce Tim who wrote it. I was like, uh, uh, damn it, I need the man to sign like his his first comic book. Where the hell is it? And I ended up buying another copy, knowing I had it at home just because I was like, I need it and I need it signed. But it just sits on the shelf, and I think mm, I should probably do something with that. 
They should probably be somewhere safe. Because some, one day someone will come over and go, oh, I've never read that, can I borrow it? And I'll be like, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, <laughs> did I just lend out my signed copy? So what do you think was it at that young age that hooked you onto it? I wish I knew the answer to that question. I really wish I knew the answer to that question. I've often wondered about it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? It's actually just sprung to mind. I, I can remember, and I don't know how old I would be when this happened, but I can remember going on holiday with the whole family to France. Again, I'm going to say I'm like four, five, maybe. And it was in summer. And I can remember that the place where we were staying was just surrounded by bats at night. There would be bats flying around everywhere. And I can remember being totally obsessed with the bats. I, I think I've just always had a weird affinity for bats. I, it's very odd. There's just something about the character. And when it, I guess when it kind of comes to my, if I look at the stuff that I've engaged with most in comic books, I do tend to gravitate towards the slightly darker, more vigilante type characters. Like when it comes to Marvel, I love Daredevil. So there's there's a definite kind of swing towards that type of character rather than like for a long time I didn't really like Superman. I didn't dislike Superman, but I didn't get him. I'm like, well he just yeah, his planet blew up. But like he just landed here and our son gave him superpowers. That's not very exciting. Like, look at what happened to Batman. His parents got murdered and he self made himself into what he is now. Um which I, I suppose that's a bit of a theme, really, is self-making the platform that you have. Uh, so I just I think it's always been stuff like that. And then I guess partly, probably, conditioning of the era that I'm I was born in because Batman was so huge in '89, and then '92 with Batman Returns, '92 also being the year of Batman the Animated Series. He was probably the most prolific of the DC heroes at the time. And then I, you know, I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I was around perfectly for. The, the TV series, same with like Transformers, all those classic things that we grew up on that are now kind of still around in some respect. I think I just, I was, I think I was born at the perfect time to, to be a geek. I've just, I've literally just in the last week, I've gone back to watching the, the Transformers series from the 80s, right, like literally right back to the beginning. Because I, um, I, like most people, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the movies. I do think, I, I like, I really enjoy them, but I always want a little bit more from them. But I got really, really lucky last week. I got invited by Paramount to go to a virtual production kickoff press conference for the new movie that just started filming. So it was it was this really cool event. Like, So they, they reached out, and it was this really random email. It was like, hey, Neil, do you like Transformers? That That's like, that's it. That's all it says. To which I reply with, like, fuck yes, do I like Transformers? <laughs> I love Transformers. Uh, and then they came back and said, okay, so we have this thing. It's going to be happening in a couple of weeks. We'd like to put your name forward as one of the, of one of the UK outlets to represent it. Um, but you can't tell anyone about it. So, like, there's an NDA around even being told that there's a thing that I might get to go to, but I might not get to go to. So then I have to do like application form. You tell them like how many followers you've got, how many people listen to your podcast, how many people are looking at your website. And then they came back and they were like, okay, yeah, we're putting you forwards. It's this, it's this new Transformers movie. The new director's going to be there. The producer's going to be there. The new cast is going to be there. It's virtual. I got confirmed to go. 
And it was this really, it was like playing in The Sims. So I had to log in to like, I had to build a virtual avatar with my face on it, which walked around like a 3D build of the Paramount lot in California. So like we were walking around the entrance hall and everyone, like all the other journalists that were there had their little avatars and we could all talk to each other on audio chat. And like the, the the Paramount Studios team are like, hey Neil, it's Neil from the UK. How are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm actually eating my dinner right now. I'm glad you can't see me, uh, but this is this is kind of cool. And then apparently the the screening room that's at their LA studio is where they've shown lots of like classic Paramount movies that have won Oscars. It's been there since the studio was founded, and they've rebuilt it virtually. So we we virtually walk in and take a seat in the auditorium, and then the curtains pull back and there's a screen which then is basically like you and I talking now, is like a live video stream of a host and the director and the producer and the cast, and they tell us all about the new movie. And it kind of it reignited a Transformers fan inside me because they were talking about it with so much love for the cartoon and the toys that I was like, okay, I feel like this group of people gets it, and this is the most excited I've been about a Transformers movie since the first one. So it's made me go back and start rewatching it, and I'm loving it. It's so good. It's just, it's great. I'm like, I, I, you know, I might be in my mid thirties, but I still love a good cartoon. I am I'm rewatching the classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well at the moment, which is also just awesome to go back to. I so there was a lot of genre TV from my teenage days, which I still love. And that was probably, I think that's why I always kind of, even when I gravitated away, always still ended up coming back because even when I wasn't reading comics, the stuff that I was watching was would easily lend itself to comic book forms. It's really funny. I, I am loving listening to Jack and Tony talk about Buffy. It's, it's amazing. Love that podcast. Uh, but it reminded me that the first time I ever saw it, so uh, it was on BBC Two, or it was on Sky One. It used to be on Sky One first, and then it was slightly behind on BBC. And I can remember seeing a promo for it on on Sky around the time that Series One was on. And I just remember laughing and being like, what the hell is this? This must be awful. And then watching it and being like, I love this programme. This is like the greatest thing ever. And it's one of those things, and this was the kind of this was the conversation that we were having about their new episode was it's the kind of program that you can go back to at different times in life and it means different things to you. So I was really similarly aged to the characters when I got into it. So I felt like I grew up with them and the stuff that was happening in that show really, really felt like it was a perfect analogy for what I was kind of growing up and going through. And then I now look back on it and I'm like, wow, okay. I was really in a difficult headspace when that season was on because I really remember feeling like I, I, I identified with what was what the characters were going through, and it was the year that um, Buffy had died and was resurrected, and she was struggling with just being alive and being an adult. And I look back on it now and think, God, I must have had a really difficult year because that that genuinely meant a lot to me at the time. That they represented how I was feeling in the show, and yet now I look at it and I think I feel like how she is at the end, where she's like, I I own my I own my power and I know who I am. So I just I always loved shows like that, and that's TV was a big thing. Like if I if I had finished my degree and my master's and actually gotten into the, the industry, I probably would be working. And it's really bad to say in shows like Joss Whedon made. I mean, we can't really say his name anymore because of the things that have come to light. But he was someone who I looked up to in terms of the things that he created. 
around that time. And that's what I sort of aspired to, to be in that respect. But I was, I was nowhere near a person that was able to do that at the time. Like if I, if I had the confidence and sort of self-worth that I have now back then, I'd probably be in a very different position now, but I probably wouldn't be talking to you and I probably wouldn't have this amazing life that I have now. So kind of, yeah, is what it is. But shows like Buffy, well, uh, I did enjoy Angel, although I feel like that is a bit weird towards the end. What came after it? What was that show that Eliza Dushku did after she was Faith? True Calling. Ter- uh, it lasted like one season and a bit where she worked in a morgue and the bodies would say like, help me. And then she'd zip back in time 24 hours and have to save the person's life. Stuff like that. I just, I, I'm the kind of person that will really, like I can watch the worst TV programme you can possibly imagine if it's slightly sci-fi or supernatural and has a cool concept. So like Martin laughs at me because at the moment I'm three seasons into rewatching Ghost Whisperer, which is Jennifer Love Hewitt supposedly owning an antique store somewhere in a New York borough who can see ghosts and help people cross over. And it is cheesy as hell. It's so cheesy. It is literally like it's, the storylines that they come up with are just, it will be like my emo teenage son was really angry, got in an argument with me, ran off, got stung by a bee and died of an anaphylactic shock and now won't cross over. But I just like, but the concept is so cool. Like it could be so dark and creepy. Like the things that she could see because she can see ghosts, that might happen. And I know it doesn't happen because I've seen the whole show, but I still rewatch it. And I'm like, at one point, something cool might happen in this concept. And so I kind of I'm a sucker for stuff like that. If it's got a if it's got a ghost in it, if it's got a vampire in it, or demons in it, or aliens in it, or superpowers, then I'm probably going to watch it, and I will find something to like in it. Actually, do you know what I remember? Really early after starting this website, someone criticising me because I don't often give a a negative review. But I'm always of the mind that anything, be it film, TV, comic book, or whatever, no one. No one sets out to make something bad. Like, if you look at, dare I say, like Suicide Squad, I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to go Justice League. Let's not, let's not tempt the Zack Snyder fans. But if you look at like Suicide Squad, people don't really like that film. I mean, it well documented that it was re-edited and reshoots and all that stuff. But David Ayer and Warner Brothers and all the people, you know, Margot Robbie, everyone, Jared Leto, people don't like his Joker, but none of those people went into that to make something bad. They went into it wanting to make the best thing that they could. So as far as I'm concerned, when I'm critiquing, I might say, you know what, this wasn't for me, but I will say it wasn't for me. However, this person did a really good job in their role, or I felt like the story was well written, or the CGI was great. Don't, I don't, yeah. I, I, can, I understand, you know, why negative reviews exist, but come on, people, you know, everyone does this for the love of what they do. Not, let's not shit on people for trying to do the best that they could. There's, there was a really interesting situation that came up. I, I, so I'm on Twitter. I use Twitter a lot, both for Geico and myself. But, you know, there are people that absolutely live and die by what's on it. And there was this really interesting set of discourse around Wonder Woman 1984, So that film came out that really brief period between lockdowns where cinemas were open. So I did get to go to an actual screening of it, like a press screening of it. Uh, And it was obviously socially distanced. There were less people there. 
And what came out from those reviews were really positive opinions of the film. And it, you know, it had a really high score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't understand why people put so much stock into Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I have friends that will go, I'm really interested in this film. I love the trailer, but it hasn't got a very good score, so I'm not going to see it. And I'm like, go see it. Enjoy, like, enjoy art for yourself, not for what someone else says about it, which is ironic given that I review stuff, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but it, it, so with Wonder Woman 1984, there, there was a hugely positive reaction from, from those of us that got to see it. And then it came out, and lots of the reviewers, particularly in America, where cinemas were completely shut, and I don't think there were screenings, um, were really negative about it. And the score fell really, really hard in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. And it, and it fell into, I think it might still be rotten, I don't know, it's somewhere around the sort of 50%, having been in the, the 70s and 80s. And it, it suddenly put this huge divide in the industry of people that do film reviews. And suddenly, all of these people that take, that, I mean, are in paid review jobs and work at, at big name kind of outlets, uh, again, particularly in America, were suddenly being really cruel to people. None of none of it ever came at me, but people like me who were in positions like me, who were fans who started a platform. And it was it was this case of well, there was kind of two ways of looking at it. One was well, Warner Brothers only invited people who they knew would give it a good review to see it, to sort of control the narrative in the press until the film was out. And then the other side of it was what makes you think you could be a film critic? And they were, I forget the, I forget the person. There was one particular person on Twitter, and I forget, I've, well, I mean, the guy means absolutely nothing to me, but I forget his name and I forget which outlet he worked for, but it was fairly highbrow. And he really went for it. Like, he was really like, people who, people, again, like me, don't know what they're talking about, don't belong, shouldn't be invited. They're being used by the studios to try and help the studio make money. And it's like, wow just don't take it so seriously. Like, if I'm Warner Brothers and I want people to come and see my film, of course I'm probably going to invite fan... I quite like the term fan journalist. I think that's quite nice. Um, I'm obviously going to invite fan journalists to see something because I know that they're going to help us promote it. I guess it does slightly control the narrative in terms of is this a good film or not. But, hey, it's subjective at the end of the day. If you're going to enjoy it, you're going to enjoy it. I'm not going to apologise for the fact that I thought that that film in particular was awesome. I loved that film. Um, it reminded me of watching Linda Carter's Wonder Woman show, so I gave it a good review. I stood by my good review. It's just interesting that it caused such a divide and that that now exists, that there are so many people doing what we do, that people who've been doing it for years who are in a sort of higher position, and it is their, it's their only job, not a side job, really, really look down on what we what we do. I've never really come across it firsthand. I've had I've had two sort of random incidents at screenings. So actually, funnily enough, they were both premieres that we didn't know were premieres. So you will get an email from a PR company or from someone that's representative at a studio who will say to you like, oh we are screening X film on X day, would you like to attend? 
they won't tell you where it is so that you don't sort of randomly turn up and try and sneak in. So you have to, you know, you say yes, you tell them how many tickets you want, and you get an official approval. And that's when you know you're on the list and they'll tell you where the venue is and stuff. Uh, but they don't often tell you when it's a premiere, which is nothing. No one warns you when you get into this that you may end up on a red carpet somewhere and you won't know about it until you get there. So it's the only time it's ever been obvious to me that I was going to end up on a carpet was when I got invited by uh, Amazon to a premiere for Star Trek Picard. I was like, well, why would I be invited to a premiere of a TV show? That's got to be a big deal. <laughs> and uh, like greatest night of my life because I, I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation. I walked up the, it wasn't red, it was a white carpet next to Sir Patrick Stewart. And I was just like, oh, it's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> greatest moment of my life. Um, so uh, we, we got invited to one for uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. So not the most recent Godzilla, but the previous one. And Warner did not say it was a premiere. Uh, and we turned up and there wasn't a red carpet or anything outside. They, 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 what they do is, if it's not like a, a huge Leicester Square filling premiere, they'll just like deck the lobby of the cinema right for, for doing photos. And they'll have like a bit of carpet inside that's all perfectly lit where they'll do photos with the celebrities and stuff to turn up. And that particular event, there was a lot of influencers and uh, kind of like gaming YouTubers and stuff that were invited to it. And and then the, the crowd of like Strictly, Love Island, dancing on ice and all that stuff. But where, and the way they work those stuff, those things is like the A-listers will have reserved seating. So there'll be, there'll be rows inside the cinema that are reserved that you can't sit in. And then they'll say to everyone else, just find a seat somewhere within the screen. So we'd gone and found a seat sort of nicely in the middle, up towards the back. And I'd seen this guy while we were queuing to go in, because, you know, we don't get to just walk in, we have to queue, only the celebrities get to just walk in. So this guy had been lingering around the door, and he kind of said, oh yeah, I'm on the list. And the, the PR person manning the door had said to him, oh yeah, just join the queue. And I kind of re I remembered that he was a bit like, um, but you invited me? And I think he thought that he was, this probably sounds terrible, but I think he thought he was more important than he was. And so he didn't have an assigned seat and he wasn't allowed to just walk in. He had to stand in the queue and he came and sat next to Martin and I. And uh, so Martin was in the middle and he was the other side and he tried to talk to Martin. He was like, so who are you? <laughs> and Martin being Martin was just like, I'm going to lean back. I will let Neil do this. So I said who we were and he was like, oh, so how many followers do you have? And I just sort of said, well, well what do you mean? He was like, well, I, I'm a fitness YouTuber, and I don't know what his name is. He did tell me, but I, I it like instantly forgot. Um, he was like, I'm a fitness YouTuber. I've got, like, 12,000 subscribers. How many, how many followers do you have? He's like, why am I sat next to you? And then for the entire of the film, he sat on his phone looking at himself and doing his hair. And I was just like, okay, this is weird. This has never happened to me before. And he was, uh, he was just so angry that he wasn't in the proper seats that he was really fixated on how many followers everyone he was sat with had to know whether he was sat with like people at his level. But then a couple of weeks ago, we were at uh, what turned out to be the premiere of the hitman's wife's bodyguard. And there were a couple of guys sat behind us who must have been journalists. They were something in the entertainment industry, but they came in and sat down and um, they were like, oh yeah, I'm so not interested in this film why did you say yes to attending it uh, and they were talking about how if it got really bad they were just going to get up and walk out and they really weren't very interested and then 
the way that they'd set the cinema out, they'd put uh, posters on certain chairs, and those were the chairs you couldn't sit in, but you could sit anywhere on the, the seats in between where there weren't posters to try and distance people out. So they sat, they came in just after us, I think, and they sat directly behind us. And then the guy leant over and he was like, you shouldn't be sat there, which he said to me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you should be one seat over the other way. And I said to him, I, I, I don't think so, because the seat next to Martin had a poster on it. And then there were like two more seats next to me and then a poster. So clearly it was laid out for if someone was in a slightly bigger group. Uh, I was like, I, I, I don't think I need to move. And then the person in front of us started talking as well. And it ended up with, uh, with the guy sort of saying, uh, so there was a group of women that were sat in front of us who were part of the PR team. And he sort of said to them, well, I don't really mind you because you've probably been vaccinated, but not these two. <laughs> it was like it was like a Kill Bill moment where this little thing in my head went like, wah, wah, wah. and I just turned around to him and I said, actually, we both work in the NHS. We're double vaxxed. We're fine. And the poor guy, literally, like he just went, oh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please just continue doing what you're doing. And I just thought, what? Okay. So these are the kind of things that no one warns you about when you get into this position. Is you might end up sat with some very like angry people who just want to be in a higher position that they're in, or who are just like, I, oof, who is this grubby person sat in front of me? <laughs> you move, please get someone. Someone move these people. I think these people should be. I don't know, like cleaning the toilets. God, but it does explain a lot of the the weird infighting there's been lately it is weird i try to i'm trying to think about the way when you look at people at events like that or at conventions and stuff the way people segregate out odd isn't it it's it's like if you look at like a comic con especially some of the the uk ones because i feel like if you go to so if you, so I've been, I've been so lucky to go to San Diego uh, three times. Although actually, I should probably say the mission statement that we came up with for Geico, which was let's see if we can get you into a Comic Con. I have gotten into London ones. I have never gotten into an American one as yet. That is still yet to happen. Maybe that's when I'll retire. Uh, so I've been to San Diego three times. And I've been to New York Comic Con once as well, and they are so welcoming. Like the people are like a, like everyone just gets on. And is everyone's just like let's it's kind of like this conversation we're having now. It's like let's just share our passion for this geeky stuff, regardless of what it is. Like you could like TV, you could like movies, you can like whatever. We're gonna talk about it. We'll complement costumes or like whatever shirt you're wearing or whatever panel you're at, we'll have a conversation about what's going on and be like, and this is just awesome. We'll just we'll just share our love for stuff. But then you look at like a UK con, particularly something like MCM where it's movies, comics, manga, and you and you look at like how one hall will be like the movie stuff and the gaming stuff, and then the other hall will be purely like anime and manga, and never the twain shall meet. And I feel like there is a weird segregation with with people in this country, particularly when it comes to well, I like this thing, so I'm going to just hang out with the people that like this thing. You like your thing. I'm not going to talk to you because I don't get your thing. And I don't, I don't know what it is. We just don't seem to share quite so much, which is weird. And then you get situations like Justice League and the whole Zack Snyder thing and the idea that Snyder fans can be quite toxic. I, James, who writes for Geico, and I often talk about it at length because he's, he's always been a, quite a diehard Snyder fan. 
uh, but he he doesn't like to sort of confront the the uglier side of that fandom whereas i made peace with justice league as the movie that it was in that same way that i won't be negative i mean i will be more negative about it now because i understand more of the circumstances but up until all the whedon stuff happened i just rationalized it as you know this is what happened with snyder that ended up with him stepping away this is the movie that we got it's not great but you know what I got to see those characters all together in live action for the first time, so I will I'll make my peace with it. But his experience, James's experience of that fandom was the the raising money for suicide charities and the good work that they did. And my experience of it was New York Comic Con, where one lone guy stood in the DC booth for the entire four days of the convention with a placard saying, release the Snyder Cut, and he would bark at people who were working in the booth and get in their face. And it was like, I understand that you have a, a real devout love for this piece of art that you want to see, but these people are trying to do their job, which at the time was promote Birds of Prey. So that's when New York Comic Con was on, they were they had the Birds of Prey cast there as a surprise. So like Margot Robbie and, and, and the people were there and they done they done veiled the costumes. It was the first time anyone had seen the costumes. And a lot of people's experience of that will be trying to look at these costumes while this guy's there just going like, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. And so I saw it from a totally different position. And at that point, that that same day, they'd, they'd gotten loads of the fans to fund one of the billboards in Times Square saying like, release the Snyder Cut for like an hour. And But it was like an hour in the middle of the day when everyone was in the convention centre. So they would like normal people going about their normal day in Times Square would have seen it, but everyone that was sort of New York Comic Con was in the convention center. And so I, I think there's a very fascinating thesis somewhere in the, the psychology of fandom, particularly now in an age where you get a movement like that, which has these really like two really polar opposite types of fans involved. And the, the consequence of Warner Brothers now having released that film because what does that mean? Does that mean that now if you put enough pressure on a studio you can get whatever you want? Or are you able to make peace with the fact that they corrected a wrong that happened a few years ago? Because it can't go on like that forever. Although I suppose when you think about it, that's what happened to the original Star Trek. When the original series was on, it got canned and they, they brought it back. And it, there are, I mean, there are times when it has happened you know, TV series sometimes will get cancelled and get shopped elsewhere and picked up because fans are so vocal. I guess Lucifer is a good recent one. Lucifer was on Fox for a couple of seasons, did okay, but not great, had a huge following, and that following convinced Netflix to pick it up. So it does, I don't know, it's weird how Justice League appears to be different. Sometimes I wonder whether it's because I'm so deep in this, even though I'm not a diehard Snyder fan, because I'm covering it and I'm writing about it and I'm in it, I'm like, oh, actually, this feels like a really big deal. But if I was like Joe Bloggs down the road who maybe saw that movie when it was out theatrically but has never read a comic book and just thinks Batman's cool in the film, does he even care? Probably not. Does he even know what release the Snyder Cut movement is? I guess there are always going to be differences because if we were all the same, then life would be quite dull. <laughs> I think it's... I think it's about being appreciative of things that we don't necessarily understand 
because I realised that even in my own world, despite the fact that I will, you know, I will watch almost anything, listen to almost anything, read almost anything, if, if someone recommends it, there are things that I probably come across as really dismissive of that someone else loves. So, like, I preview fact you can even hear it where I say, like, we've been to events and there's, like, some Strictly Come Dancing people or some Love Island people. I'm so dismissive of that. And I will I will tell you now I don't watch reality TV. I think it's trash. But actually, that's not really very fair of me to say because for someone else, it probably means the same thing that Batman means to me. And that's probably it, is that actually we all just need to stop being critical of the things that maybe we don't understand and just perceive as being crap and appreciate that other people see that the way we see the things that we love so actually if we're all just a case of okay it's not for me but it's cool that you like that then maybe we'd all get on a bit better maybe that's what it is have i just solved all the problems of the world do we just have to be nice (laughs) i think i think that would be a huge step towards it and that's the I mean, you know, if if someone had maybe had just gone up to that guy at New York Comic Con and said, you know what, I would love to release the Snyder Cut, now's not the right time for it, he might have said, thank you, thank you for listening. Now I'll go and look at Harley Quinn's costume from Birds of Prey. (laughs) And we all would have gotten on a lot better. I, I doubt it, but maybe it would have been a step towards it. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe that whole movement would have not happened if Warner Brothers had said at the time, actually, hands up. We should have just paused the whole thing, let Zach deal with what was happening in his life and finished it later, rather than working to a deadline. I think being I think it just I think it does it comes down to being appreciative of all art forms, be they ones that you like or not. Neil is the brains behind GetYourComicOn.com, where you can read the latest news and reviews for all things geek culture. You can hear him and Martin fortnightly-ish on the Get Your Comic On podcast. find Get Your Comic On at the usual social media sites and Neil himself is on Twitter at NeilVag 1L2Gs Super Dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and Fantastic Universes by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.